good morning, uh, George. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Eric? Good. Yeah. Good. Uh -huh. Welcome to Albert Camus Radio and our 20 questions on Camus. <laughs> uh -huh. We have Professor Heffernan this morning, and we're going to work through the 20 questions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So number one, when and how did you first encounter Camus' work? Well, that takes me back uh, decades. Uh, <laughs> I was at a, <laughs> a college outside of Baltimore where I spent my first two years and um, they had, it doesn't exist anymore, the college. Oh, really? Uh, no, What's so the college? What was it? It was a, it was a seminary college, okay. uh, St. Mary's in Catonsville. And uh, they had a bookstore and in the bookstore, in the old days, you would get all your books, you know, from the college bookstore. And I remember uh, seeing the works of Camus laid out there. Um, the plague was there, the myth of Sisyphus was there. Uh, and I think the stranger was too, but I can't be certain about that one. Mm -hmm. But at any rate, uh, I picked them up and my first impression of the plague was that it was too long and involved. And I did read the myth of Sisyphus. Mm -hmm. uh, I apparently didn't get around to reading the stranger, um, at least in any serious way until probably, um, this might have been like 10, 15 years ago wow. uh, at the school where I am now, Marymount mm -hmm. College. And uh, I was intrigued because there was an older colleague who was teaching the existentialism course. And this older colleague was Jesuit trained and he uh, equated the existentialists uh, uh, among whom he counted, of course, Camus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was his level of, <laughs> of understanding. So, and he, uh, he, he taught the existentialists as nihilists. They, they were atheists, wow. nihilists, and absurdists. Yeah. And so Camus was like the, 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 the standard bearer of these um, uh, atheist nihilists. Uh, wow. Um, existentialist and, and it, probably because he was the easiest to read. Uh, yeah. But at any rate, I, I remember being appalled uh, by this. Uh, I, I was junior faculty and I, I, I had to wait until this person yeah. retired to take over the existentialism course. Yeah. The minute that I did, I started rearranging uh, everything so that things made sense. And then I brought in a whole new reading of uh, Camus and, uh, but I'll never forget the time during which I suffered under this old regime yeah. of, yeah. Uh, <laughs> of reading Camus as an existentialist and equating mm -hmm. him and the existentialists yeah. with nihilists and atheists, right? So, uh, yeah. uh, and the students at the time, I remember getting feedback from them. Uh, there, was a, there was a level of dissatisfaction with this reading mm -hmm. by this colleague. Sure. They, they just didn't know enough to like yep. stand up to it and contradict it. Yeah. Uh, yep. then, uh, but this colleague uh, then eventually um, left. And then uh, I made a move uh, in the department and I said, I really would like to take over this course. Uh, and uh, that was hardly to be denied because by then I had, I had been working as a scholar, you know, in the area. So, uh, and since then, I've been lucky enough to teach on a regular basis uh, the course, which I no longer call existentialism, but I've renamed it a meaningful life. Okay. Uh, not, not something goofy like the meaning of life. Yeah. Yeah. A meaningful life, right? And then there are many ways, as we know, to live a meaningful life or to find meaning in life or to create meaning in life. Uh, there's no one size fits all. So, um, 
yeah, that was my, uh, so it was a gradual thing. It was a process. Yeah. Right? It, 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 uh, uh, um, it took a, a, a while and I had um, uh, different impulses that, that, uh, that brought me to, uh, to reading Camus. So, uh, yeah. You may be the first that I've talked to that um, didn't pick up the stranger first. Uh -huh. and, and make that as their entree into Camus. So yeah, 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 what do you assign yeah. in your course now by Camus? We read uh, The Stranger okay. and uh, I, I do refer them to the Myth of Sisyphus, the short version, you know, the five page version. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but we read um, The Stranger and we spend, uh, we spend, um, we'll spend three weeks uh -huh. reading The Stranger in October. Um, the the course A Meaningful Life is actually literature based and driven. So uh, we've just finished reading Bartleby the Scrivener. We've read um, um, Zarathustra the Prologue. Uh, we read Dostoevsky. We mm. begin with Kierkegaard. Uh, mm. We did read um, the part of Being in Time. I think it's paragraphs 46 to 53 on death and the finitude of Dasein. Uh, but mm -hmm. it's heavily, heavily uh, literature based and driven. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a philosophy through literature um, course. And, uh, and the only set piece that's a novel really is uh, then uh, The Stranger. Okay, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. But they, they, they like it. I mean, my, I, I also have the intro course read it, the students there. Mm -hmm. and, and The Stranger, is, it works. It does work, you know, yeah. so. Um, yeah. Yes, it's a yeah, it's a great, great teaching book, certainly. So, what are your favorite lines from Camus, and why? Whoa, favorite lines from Camus, and why? Yeah. Uh -huh. um, favorite lines. I'm not sure that I had prepared for favorite lines. Okay, but um, uh, certainly, uh, well, you know, even in The Stranger, some of the most provocative lines. It depends, of course, upon how you translate them. But mm -hmm. um, uh, some of the things that Merceau says uh, are so provoking, provocative. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, lines that are translated in the Ward uh, edition as uh, everyone knows that life is not worth living, which in the original French is more like everyone knows that life is not worth the trouble of having lived it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or um, um, uh, since everybody's going to die anyway, it doesn't matter when or how you die. <laughs> like, so it, it, if these are the lines that are uppermost in my mind right now, it's because we are preparing to read The Stranger again. And I just spent Thursday all day creating a handout for it. But here's the, the, the interesting part. Um, I mentioned lines that are lines of characters mm -hmm. in uh, uh, Camus, mm -hmm. but they're not views that Camus shares, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. that, that the interesting part here yep. is that, that often um, yeah. people read The Stranger and other mm -hmm. novels and they find a character who's saying X, Y, or Z, yep. and they regard that character as spouting views, as being a mouthpiece of views yep. of Camus. Yep. And of course, nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I've come to read The Stranger, for instance, as a reductio ad absurdum of the view that life is absurd. Sure. In other words, mm -hmm. I think that, that, that Camus has <laughs> brilliantly created a character mm -hmm. who shows us that it's yeah. 
absurd to posit that life is absurd. Absurd. Because sure. in the end, you know, who wants to emulate Marceau? Who wants mm -hmm. to end like Marceau? Yeah. Right? So, uh, uh, and I know that in the uh, preface to the 1956 American University edition, uh, Camus seems to go to the barricades for um, for his character. But that's, that has to be understood against the backdrop of the criticisms that were being leveled against this character by conservative uh, ecclesiastical forces in France between the appearance of the novel and, uh, and the mid-1950s. Uh, so, um, you know, Camus was very um, upset that people um, uh, were characterizing Marceau as a piece of social wreckage. And, yeah. and yeah. He, he then, <laughs> I think, goes to the other extreme of trying to mm -hmm. Uh, portray him as the only Christ that we deserve, which mm -hmm. doesn't work either <laughs> when you think yeah. about it. Okay? So yeah. the truth lies somewhere between those two extremes. And so, um, um, yeah, but I mean, um, uh, one of the essays that I really like, though, where Camus was speaking in his own voice is uh, The Enigma, I believe, of 1950. And I, I think that that's that's key, that, that, that little essay of about 10 pages. Mm -hmm. um, uh, sets the record straight uh, that 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 Camus feels that he he Camus has been misunderstood yeah. as yeah. a philosopher of the absurd, mm -hmm. uh, by which people seem to have meant a philosopher who defends the philosophy of the absurd. Yeah. And and Camus is like what? Yeah. <laughs> this, yeah. Is a label. this is a label that Parisian society and 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 literary journalists have stuck on me. Yeah. Uh, it will understand something that they actually haven't understood. And so, um, and, and even if you go and read much of his work, even up until 1950 already, mm -hmm. uh, you can, and since he started publishing seriously in 1942, then you can see that's a relatively short frame of time. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can see that no one who, who, who was actually reading and understanding what he was writing could come to the conclusion that Albert Camus thought that life was absurd yeah. and that there was no value in life mm -hmm. and that there was no mm -hmm. point in living. I mean, yeah. this would be, this would be, it, this, it, this interpretation is what is absurd, right? If yeah. you read articles from combat and then, you know, all the way up. So um, um, he's raising the question uh, about uh, whether uh, it makes sense to uh, uh, understand or misunderstand life as some sort of absurd exercise, right? Mm -hmm. He's not answering that question in the affirmative. I mean, he's yeah. reading characters who who uh, uh, by default are slipping into a view yeah. that he himself mm -hmm. uh, uh, does not endorse. So, um, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, the indirect communication is always fascinating. My, my professor who taught the graduate level work on Plato always had this great line because when you read Socrates, he always said, you always have to understand that behind Socrates is Plato with these bright blue eyes and they're smiling because he's you're never sure exactly what he's getting at because it's one step removed. You know, this is Plato writing, but Socrates speaking, but he's a character. Kierkegaard is the same way with the indirect communication in Kierkegaard, Kierkegaard, but Kierkegaard. And I love that. So it takes that patience to work in somebody like Camus because these are characters and you go back to the theater background and he has developed these characters put them on stage and you should learn from them um so yeah great point about the lines from Camus are not 
you have to be very, very careful. And that 1950 piece is a nice one to point to because as you said, he's almost, well, he's sort of at the peak of that first, that first round of writing before he, yes. before he doesn't write for a while. So he can reflect on it and say, you know, here it is. Yeah, good, good answer. Number three, do you think Camus was a likable person? Why or why not? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it obviously depends on what kinds of persons you like. <laughs> yes. yes. So uh, I, I think that Camus was more likable than, say, the likes of Heidegger or Sartre. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Probably less likable than the likes of Husserl or, say, Edith Stein. Okay. Uh, I mean, Camus, he liked things like football and theater yep. and cafes and uh, yeah. travel uh, and lots of other things that likable people like, right? Yeah. He easily get yeah. along with mm -hmm. people. And of course, there are the women in his life who seem to have liked him a lot. Yeah. Uh, he, so yeah, I think, uh, uh, I think he was a likable person. And um, uh, um, I'm thinking of that big picture book, uh, yeah. the, um, what's it, Solidarity, and uh, uh, I could go get it, it's on my coffee table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, when you look at the pictures, for instance, all right, except for the omnipresent cigarettes, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. it seems like, you know, he, he would be, a, 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 I'm not going to use the word nice, he would be uh, the kind of person that you would like to sit down and have a conversation with, right? Sure. Uh, I guess they say nowadays to go drink a beer with. Yeah. Although uh, you would be drinking wine and coffee, you know, so. for the most part. Yeah, so. but uh, yeah. Uh, uh, certainly uh, a well-read person. Yep. Um, I think that uh, he and I would have a lot in common mm -hmm. because we we basically grew up and out of poverty, mm -hmm. and then we got you know, education, uh, we, um, uh, we've seen everything from the top to the bottom in terms yeah. of the types of human beings that there are out there. And so um, I think we'd have actually, you know, if, if it's a really personal question, like, do I think he would be a likable person uh, to be around? Then um, I think, yes, I think we'd have a lot to talk about, a lot yeah. in common. And uh, uh, he's certainly not like a condescending kind of intellectual of the sort that you would run into, mm -hmm. um, you know, who would be uh, in terms of culture and mm -hmm. intellect, etc. to the manner born, a kind of yeah. Sartre type, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. where the only question in your life is whether you're going to get into the, you know, a cold or mild superior or something, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And with yeah. what grade, <laughs> what's your yeah. examination yeah. grade? Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Right? What, what the like, score was, yeah. No, I mean, it's like he yeah. was happy, you know, to get an education at all. And he got it at the cost of the state because his father, you know, sacrificed his life in the First World War. Mm -hmm. uh, and he became, you know, a pupil de nation, de la nation. And, uh, and then uh, that's how he gained access to, yeah. you know, his uh, education. Um, so, yeah, I think so. I, I think, yeah, it's, it's, that's been an interesting one for people to ask. They've, they've know the biography enough and it does come out from a personal one-on-one -on -one. I loaded the question a little bit for Peter Francev because he's in the process of raising a daughter and I asked him this question but then I asked him a follow-up question do you think he'd make a good son-in-law and of course not <laughs> of course not I would not want him to marry my daughter <laughs> That was well, a loaded question, but yeah. Better run into some problems there. Yes. 
you can qualify a little bit more, it became a problem. But uh, yeah, yeah, I should turn that around. Like not just the women who liked Camus, but the, yeah. the women whom Camus, Camus liked. Yeah, liked women, you know. So uh, not yeah. just one woman. No, no. <laughs> so, yeah. They're mm -hmm. stable. Yeah. <laughs> Number four. Do you consider Albert Camus an African writer? Why or why not? Yeah, I, I, uh, I do. Uh, maybe if I had not um, read uh, and studied actually uh, David Carroll's Camus the Algerian, I, I, I might think differently about this, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I just come to the conclusion, in my mind at least, that there's no question uh, that Camus was an African writer. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, in that broad sense, I consider also, of course, Augustine. Yeah. to be an African writer. Yeah. Uh, Derrida was an African writer. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, we, we really have to overcome the prejudice against prejudice, right? So, so you know, we think of Augustine um, and we think of uh, some uh, dead white European male who, mm -hmm. um, you know, is this overbearing father of the church, this patriarch uh, and everything that goes into that. And then we don't stop and think that um, Augustine in his day was uh, someone who was a part of a church that was struggling for survival. I mean, it, it was beset by Donatists, by Arians, by Pelagians, by Manichaeans, by pagan Romans, etc., etc. And um, we, we just, we read back into um, his life and times, things that simply weren't there. And uh, when you get to the letters of Augustine, for instance, and he's back in Africa, right? Because yeah, he only yeah. spent, of his 73 years, Augustine yeah. only spent five years out of Africa. He came bishop of, uh, of, a, of a place, Hipporegius, that's not far from the birthplace of Camus. Yeah. And as we all know, Camus wrote his um, uh, thesis for his diploma. Uh, diploma, his master's in philosophy, 1936, on um, uh, neo Christian and Neoplatonic metaphysics, and you know one of the chap big chapters was on Augustine. Yep. But um, you know um, Augustine, in his letters, often protests to people who are writing him from Rome and uh, arguing to him, well, you know, you're just an African out yes. in the, you know, the sticks. What do you know? <laughs> and Augustine, mm -hmm. Augustine yeah. writes back. Africanus sum, you know, yeah. I'm an African. I know yes. what I'm talking about, especially I know about what's going on here in Africa. Yes. And you and I don't, okay, right? Yes. So uh -huh. like, now, of course, you can say, yeah, but that was Roman Africa. That wasn't yeah. like Black Africa. That wasn't yep. Sub-Saharan Africa. Yep. Well, you know, Africa is a big place. So let's not be provincial about how we think about it, you know? Yeah. So, uh, and by the way, you know, in the continuation, uh, you know, Camus obviously was the European, African, Algerian writer, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so I think you can take the uh, the uh, Algerian out of Alge Algeria, mm -hmm. but you can't take uh, Algeria out of the Algerian. Yeah. And you know, we see right now, um, uh, after the whole, you know, uh, post-colonial uh, set of readings uh, of uh, Camus' works, uh, Conor Cruz O'Brien and Edward Said and all the others then, yeah. uh, we see that Camus was actually experiencing real renaissance um, yeah. in, in Algeria. And it's among Francophone Algerian female writers and scholars, right? Yeah. Uh, and of course, there's finally the work of Kamel Daoud. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, I think that uh, there, there's, there's a real receptivity to um, 
uh, Camus now that there wasn't in Algeria and in Africa 30 years ago. Um, there's also a receptivity to Augustine. Um, mm -hmm. I was invited to um, submit and go to a conference on Augustine that's taking place this year in Carthage. Okay. In, uh, in uh, Tunis, Tunisia, and last year, no, two years ago, I think it was, it was held in uh, in Anaba, right? Oh, in, uh, in, in, yeah. in yeah, yeah, and uh, and and this this is the initiative here is from the Algerian government and right. uh, Ministry of Culture, uh, so uh, they know what they have in figures like uh, Camus and Augustine and Derrida and others and uh, there's an openness there that uh many people don't know about and don't yeah. suspect yeah. Uh, so these are uh, regarded as sons of daughters of <clears throat> africa you know so um uh, yeah definitely yeah definitely yeah. right <clears throat> not an easy question <laughs> <laughs> which character that camus created do you identify personally with <laughs> the easy answer would be simply Sisyphus. Okay. <laughs> but that's really a character he created, but he put a certain <laughs> interpretation yeah. on Sisyphus. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, if you think of um, um, if you think of teaching mm -hmm. uh, as a, a Sisyphean task. Mm -hmm. uh, in a sense, postural, you know, it's a kind of philosophy of infinite tasks. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something that you do um, as a habitus, you do it every day, uh, regardless of how you feel. Mm -hmm. uh, it should transcend moods. Um, it should transcend uh, fleeting uh, feelings towards others, um, students, colleagues. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and so I, I identify with the Sisyphus that, yeah. uh, that Camus talks about, especially uh, because he shifts the focus from the pushing the rock up the hill mm -hmm. to the reflective consciousness yeah. uh, of moments after. Like, you know, what, what's Sisyphus thinking when, yeah. when he's going down the hill to get that stone, that rock again, mm -hmm. to push it back up? So uh, I think that uh, anyone who spends their life um, engaged in intellectual work uh, um, has those moments uh, mm -hmm. on a daily basis. And, uh, and if you can't dig deep and, 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 and come up with um, uh, whatever's there, mm -hmm. you know, to continue again, uh, then, uh, then you're, you're not going to be doing it for very long, you know. No, no. Uh, it's, and uh, the academic life <clears throat> resembles that because there is that moment when the semester's done. Mm -hmm. when you all as a class reach the end and mm -hmm. as a teacher you naturally reflect <clears throat> and then if you go to the bottom of the hill the whole new group of students come in again mm -hmm. and yeah. you go with yeah. them so yeah uh, yeah yeah i think too here it, it depends too often upon geography or landscape uh the uh it's interesting i've been teaching at my college for 30 years now and i live um down and the college is up. Okay. <laughs> so, and I walk mm -hmm. to school every morning, and I've done this for years. Mm -hmm. And 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 I have a lot of time to think. It it yeah. used to take about seventeen minutes to get there. Now it takes about thirty. And uh, part of that is that I 
I'm more thoughtful while mm-hmm. I'm walking. And so uh, I, um, uh, I reflect. And uh, so I get an, a half hour, whatever else happens, mm-hmm. I get a half hour of reflection of, um, every time I walk from where I live to where I like work. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, that's the Sisyphus, mo- those are the Sisyphus moments, right? In mm-hmm. coming sense. Sure they are. So, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Who's your least favorite character in his body of work and why? No least favorite. Mm-hmm. There are several candidates there. Uh, <laughs> He's good at writing uh, those kind of characters. Yeah, I'm tempted to pick someone from the plague, but then I think I think maybe um, uh, as a Raymond Sintes is um, uh, unsympatico. He's 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 really he's really a brute. Yeah, uh, yeah, he is. And and uh, and 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 part of the part of the dynamic there is that the reader gets to see Marceau, unfortunately, being sometimes impressed by yep. the manliness of <laughs> of Raymond Sintes, yep. and and you know the the, uh, the plot that the two of them hatch to get the mistress to come back to Raymond mm-hmm. and, and what they're going to do to her, uh, it really is uh, physical and sexual abuse uh, because in the original French, what Raymond asks uh, Merceau to do is to write the kind of letter that will get her to come back to him mm-hmm. uh, so that he can go to bed with her and then uh, just au moment de finir, just at the moment of climax, mm-hmm. he wants to punch her out, spit mm-hmm. in her face, and kick her out. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that line, unfortunately, has been toned yeah. down by Stuart Gilbert, mm-hmm. worst of all, and by, even by Matthew Ward. Uh, but that, 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 that line, the original French of it, mm-hmm. I share with my students to drive home the point about the brutality of Raymond Sintes. And then, of course, the complicity of uh, Marceau. Mm-hmm. And, and this is e- even for readers who would tend to have sympathetic leanings toward Marceau and to think of him as uh, a poor man who simply mm-hmm. needs love or uh, you know he needs help or something. Uh, that's a moment of revelation, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, yeah, Raymond Sintes is really. Uh, ooh, He's, he's he's trouble. He's bad trouble, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, so probably yeah, he pops to mind, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, uh, Caligula pops to mind. Too. Yes, Caligula. <laughs> yeah. <of course. laughs> so. <laughs> How do you yeah. picture Raymond in your imagination when you're reading The Stranger? What what does he look like to you? He looks like uh, he looks like Marlon Brando in a street. Okay. Stanley Kowalski, you know, Uh, and and he's capable of anything. He's capable of uh, raping Blanche Dubois, you know, his sister-in-law. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, So, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, absolutely. Right down to the, the, you know, the wife beater t-shirt, you know, know, whatever. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. I mean, yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. When I read The Stranger, if I'm not reading it for a particular reason mm-hmm. i always feel like your Camus is opening up parts of Merceau to you as he moves through the the text mm-hmm. and when you get to this 
place with Raymond, I always feel so disappointed that he does want that connection with this guy because mm -hmm. he either feels like he's not tough enough or he wants to be mm -hmm. associated with a tough guy or something. And, and mm -hmm. don't, I'm just like, don't do that. You know, just <laughs> see Raymond for what he is and, and keep away from him and move on elsewhere, you know, but. Yeah. But he does put a little bit of distance between him and Raymond when they go shooting pool and drinking whiskey. And then the next step for Raymond is let's go to a warehouse, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh, and Marceau says, no, I don't like that kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. you see, well, you know, there, there's certain things, but, but that's like aesthetic, you know, that, that, that it's not so much ethical as aesthetic, you know, it's like, no, nah, I don't do that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so, so there are differences, but mm -hmm. still, yeah, yeah um, he does do Raymond's bidding and, uh, yeah. and uh, yeah. Mm. It's a bad deal. <laughs> Number seven, is his work dated? Is it timeless? Is it in a mix? What do you think of that? Yeah, I think that, well, I mean, to pick an obvious case, uh, even his most dated work, like say his articles in combat, yeah. uh, I don't think are dated mm -hmm. uh, because uh, when you get into them and you see the kinds of things that he's talking about, you see that they too are timeless, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it, um, the, the occasion is the occasion. Yeah. But the content is, you know, is something different. So I think mm -hmm. the uh, the uh, the themes of the stranger of Caligula of the plague, uh, mm -hmm. they they are absolutely timeless. Um, even one of my least favorite pieces of Camus, the reflections on the guillotine, mm -hmm. uh, which I think are not well argued. Yeah. Um, because I don't think they're going to do anything for those who think that there are no convincing arguments against the application of the death penalty like in all cases whatsoever, uh, because I think his arguments there are primarily aesthetic. You know, mm -hmm. it's like if, if you actually had to witness an execution, you would get sick. Mm -hmm. And therefore you can't possibly, you know, think yeah. that, you know, that, that, that the application of the execution of the death penalty is, is somehow right. Uh, um, so, um, um, or even um, a work like, um, um, the fall, uh, probably, that's a very hard one to, like, that's kind of mixed, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but on the other hand, I think that uh, um, uh, um, even there, there are themes. I mean, this, the kind of self-reckoning, mm -hmm. the reckoning with the right and with the left and with the middle and, and how to find your place uh, in all of the things that are going on around you while they're going on. Uh, I think those are timeless, timeless themes. So um, uh, maybe this is where Aristotle comes in with his view that uh, literature gets at the universal and the timeless in a way that even history doesn't, you yeah. know? I mean, that would depend on your understanding of history. Mm -hmm. But I think that, uh, um, uh, yeah, I'm uh, timeless. I mean, if, if, you, if, if, if we're talking about where uh, the majority of the works would land, mm -hmm. you know, without going down a list, for yeah. instance, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, certainly, uh, his work that tries to be most historical in its analysis, The Rebel, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think, the, which would seem to be like, it sets off this explosion of, <laughs> of controversy, controversy in, yeah. in the early 1950s. You, you might stop and think, well, well that, uh, is uh, about as um, uh, timed as it gets. I mean, mm -hmm. that, 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 that 
kind of discussion could only, it only makes sense in that context at that time. But that's not true. I mean, uh, the, the issues of violence and revolution and rebellion and, and what's called progressive violence nowadays, yeah. like, mm -hmm. I think what we see now uh, with the Black Lives uh, Matter movement, uh, what we now see with the, um, the, the, um, the, the radical right, what we see with uh, the demonstrations that uh, sadly, unfortunately, take advantage of uh, protests that have legitimate bases, yeah. right, and legitimate grievances, right, um, the kind of gratuitous violence that, that many people um, uh, opportunistically then introduce into situations like that. Uh, those, are, those are themes and topics that you find discussed at great length in the rebel, mm -hmm. right? So uh, even, even uh, a work that you might think, right, at first yeah. sight, uh, is, is just timed to that particular period and really, you know, isn't worth reading for any yeah. broader application. Uh, the more you read it, the more it, it, it dawns on you, oh my goodness, you know, uh, I was, I've been reading like Stephen Kotkin. I, I, I just finished reading the second volume of his Stalin biography mm. and just magisterial, unbelievably detailed and insightful uh, treatment of the life of this man. Uh, and uh, always thinking the whole time about um, the rebel, mm -hmm. uh, this notion that, you know, during the purges of the 1930s yeah. and, and right up, uh, well, actually during the whole reign of Stalin, this kind of thing was going on. But this notion of progressive violence, that there, there are yeah. certain social goals, that there, there are um, purposes that are worth pursuing and, and, uh, and uh, if it costs, human lives, innumerable yeah. human lives, it's uh, justified, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so this is a uh, uh, this is a topic that just, I think this will be around as long as human beings are around, you know? So, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, you, that's a really strong position. I don't think, you know, it, you're wrong in any sense, but to even include the combat articles, which some of those combat articles were written for things that were happening that month, you know? Mm -hmm. They're very, very period specific timed, like you said, but then to be able to have the kind of mind when you're writing to address something that may have just happened in a very particular political nuance in France and Paris alone maybe, and to have some sort of element that speaks across the years uh, inside of that is, uh, is a remarkable mind, I think, that worked there. So. Yeah. I think he, he uh, with the, of course, he was a journalist, as you know, before, uh, and, and uh, but I think that with the combat articles, he begin, and his, his formulation is that the journalist is the historian of the day or of the everyday, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and, uh, and I think he, he really redefines the profession of journalism uh, in the combat articles. And that's also one of the reasons why they completely transcend, uh, you know, the day. Mm -hmm. uh, this discussion, for instance, that you find in several of them about like, um, you know, uh, why did France lose the war, mm -hmm. right? And this is at a time when it's pretty clear that France is not going to lose the war. Yeah, yeah. But like, 
Why did France lose the 1940 war against yeah, Germany, Germany and then find itself in this, this pitiful condition of having been rescued or, or saved by, you know, an invasion from without from the other side. And then people are looking for scapegoats, right? And they find scapegoats in existentialism. They find mm -hmm. scapegoats in the kind yes, of philosophy. Yeah. And, yeah. and Camus was saying, no, no, this is this, this is crazy. I mean, yeah. uh, it's like what they did to Socrates, right? They're looking for the, the reasons why Athens lost the Peloponnesian War. Yeah. And it has to be because Socrates and people like him were corrupting the youth. Exactly. Right? And, yep. and it, yep. you know, they stand up to the Spartans. Yeah. Yeah, like that philosophy <laughs> caused the downfall of the, of, of the city state, and it's like no, and you say no. I mean, yeah. these, these this is this is timeless, right? This, this kind of uh, 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 these kinds of topics, right? Yeah. So, yeah. but it is, um, it is, it repeats itself in the faux coup in Turkey. You know, the, one of the first things they did was purge philosophers from the philosophy departments in Turkey after that, yeah, you know, yeah. so that that just cycles right back around. Yeah, yeah, I have yeah, to pause yeah. a moment, George. I'm getting some weird light in here in this room. I'm yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Maybe just it's a, yeah, Michelle. Mm -hmm. mm. Yes, and we're back. All right. So eight, uh, Camus is most often included in the club of Western philosophy. Granting this premise, what makes one writer a philosopher and another not? Oh my goodness. Okay, I have a different question eight here, but that's not a problem. Oh, okay, um, sorry, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see, what makes one writer a philosopher and another? Yeah. Writer? Yeah, um, yeah these well, questions have evolved over time, so I, I apologize okay. if I didn't send you the most up-to-date, yeah. Yeah, um, I think, um, I mean, if you take philosophy back to its original uh, meaning of the love of wisdom, uh, the pursuit of wisdom, uh, then uh, I think, um, and, and you could, in a generous sense, a charitable sense, apply that as a criterion to decide whether someone is a philosopher or not, mm -hmm. then, uh, then I think it's, it's simply indisputable that uh, Camus is a philosopher. But there's, in one of the notebooks, there's that a line about how or I think it was maybe originally at a in an interview, um, someone asked him, "Well, how can I how can I become a philosopher?" Mm -hmm. and yeah, it was like if you want to do philosophy, write novels, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, I think I, this is the genius of uh, of Camus, and I think that he does this better than uh, better than someone say like Sartre. Uh, and uh, it, it, it's a way of making philosophy accessible. And I think if you gave someone, as I do my students, of course it occurs in the context of a philosophy course, so they kind of see yeah. what's coming, but you could actually just give uh, people the stranger to read or the plague to read or Caligula to read and, um, and not mention a word about philosophy. Mm -hmm. And they could start discussing the questions yeah. Right, that are raised in these yeah. texts, mm -hmm. uh, and and then they would be doing philosophy, right? Sure. So mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like it, it, it's not like you say, well, let's now do philosophy yeah. formally, right, and academically, uh, in the school sense. Uh, so um, I think it, it's a question of accessibility, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and um, thankfully, there still is a generally educated reading public. 
yeah. that is open mm -hmm. to reading yeah. uh, 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 works like this, and they 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 have discriminating tastes to the point mm -hmm. where they they don't discriminate. So mm -hmm. it doesn't put them off. Yeah. Uh, to think that you know these are philosophical texts yeah. or something yeah. like that. You know. Yeah. So uh, uh, it was. Um, the recent experience of uh, reading Bartleby the Scrivener with uh, my students. This is the first time I ever put it in okay. uh, the curriculum. I, but I've always like for years I thought that that should work, right? It mm -hmm. should work better than something like The Great Gatsby. You know, it's a, it's about Wall Street. It's about mm -hmm. you know the meaning of your work, uh, finding meaning in life. Uh, it's about it's as much about the lawyer uh, who mm -hmm. is employing uh, Bartleby as it is about Bartleby the employee, mm -hmm. and uh, it's also about um, uh, solidarity. It's about charity. It's about humanity, uh, and uh, and my students they loved it. Mm -hmm. Right, they loved it. Uh, because many of them are majoring in business. They're going to sure. end up, yeah. you know, at yeah. jobs yep. that they hope are not going to be meaningless, but yeah. they're going to end up doing them for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And, and yep. they're hoping for, hoping for, you know, uh, employers who understand their plight. Yeah. Uh, yep. So at any rate, uh, they don't want to end like Bartleby, of course, but uh, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, something like that, that's literature. And of course, it's mm -hmm. about Melville too, because it's written at a time in the mid 1850s when his life's dream is not being fulfilled because yeah, okay. he's living at a time when you know the his personal mm -hmm. ideal would be to be a best-selling author okay mm -hmm. he'd be right up there with emerson and hawthorne and all the rest yeah. of them mm -hmm. but it's not working out okay yeah. uh, and moby dick even in its time was like kind of what's that right yeah okay mm -hmm. yeah it didn't quite <laughs> get yeah <laughs> at the Nobel Centennial, like in 1919, you know. Yeah. So, at any rate, um, uh, it's it's very much about someone who's writing, but they're questioning the meaningfulness of what they're writing mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they're not getting the resonance. They're not getting the resonance, yeah. you know, that 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 they seek. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, absolutely, uh, Camus of of. Uh, uh, he's he he's the the, the non-philosopher's philosopher, if you yeah. like. He's yeah. the the, uh, the common the common person's philosopher, you know. Yeah. So uh, great, yeah. and I think contra to Melville, uh, Camus got that immediate satisfaction and feedback by 1942. Boom, world stage. You know, he was yep. he was there. So. Yeah. Um, and Nobel Prize. I mean, what at forty seven? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, come on, really. I mean, this is really, uh, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. I think he lost. I, I think I read somewhere that he lost. He he won by one vote over uh, Katsanzaki. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I read I, that. I yeah. That. I don't want to like put that out there as a rumor or anything. Yeah, but, I've uh, read that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I can cite it, yeah. but I've read it. Yeah. 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 Keep in mind. Mm -hmm. Number nine, Gilbert or Ward, you must pick, and Lotman or Todd. <laughs> <laughs> this is a no-brainer as far okay. as the traditions go. Uh, I, I have Gilbert, uh, an original edition over there on the shelf, and, uh, uh, and I, uh, I marvel at how uh, I, I have found on the internet uh, a word searchable uh, edition of the yes. word translation. And I upload that onto our Blackboard website for my students. Yep. And I tell them, read this one. 
And I'll be darned how many of them, when they go to write a paper, they will go to the internet. And of course, the first one they'll find is the Gilbert. Gilbert. And then yeah. they'll be citing from the Gilbert. And I say, I told you not to do that. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> frankly, I mean, if you're reading the Gilbert translation, you're not yeah. reading. Like, I mean, you're, you're reading like, I mean, he takes, he takes Merceau and, and, and uh, Raymond, he makes out of them London, London East Enders. I mean, they, 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 it just, it, it just isn't them, you yeah. know? And, I mean, I read it in French too, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, fact, but at any rate, um, long story short, um, a, um, a case in point is that line that I mentioned before where uh, Raymond is describing uh, to Merceau what mm -hmm. he wants to do and the kind of letter that he needs Merceau to write in order to enable him to do it. And he says something to the effect of um, and when he gets the mistress to come back and he says, I'll get her all primed up. Yeah. Oh, all what does that mean? And of course, <laughs> you know, this is like 1950-ish. Yeah. Like, and a Cockney London talk for <laughs> get, get her all wet and juicy. Okay, <laughs> to get her all primed up. And my students don't know what the heck you know Raymond is talking about. You know, just say what he says in French, okay? And and there I said too, Ward doesn't do it either, but Ward's mm -hmm. much closer to the French, the French. Than, than, than Gilbert is. Gilbert is like it's just you know you just it's something to shake your head about. I mean it's it's dated, okay? It's yeah. dated. That's what happened. Yeah. I mean. That, it's, you know, it's just dated, right? Yep. So, um, as for Lotman and Tom, can I just you know, go I back to the Gilbert Ward for a second? Yeah, um, yeah. You will. You must listen when I get Simon's edited. You must listen to Simon's um, piece because he <laughs> gives me twenty-five minutes on the virtues of Gilbert. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and systematically goes through the critique against Gilbert. So maybe more a, a, a statements about Simon than about Gilbert. But I, you know, I, we we have to have a conference on that one. <laughs> yes, perfect, perfect. Yes, on yes. That, that would be a great topic. Yeah, it would be. And Sandra Smith, maybe throw her in too. So, mm -hmm. or, uh, yeah. and, uh, and as far as Todd and Lotman go, yeah, Todd and Lotman, yeah, yeah, I. Uh, uh, <clears throat> If you want to read the real story with all the details, then you're going to read Lotman, right? Yep. Uh, but um, uh, Todd, I mean, this, this is, uh, uh, Lotman says this, by the way, in his front matter, he says that, you know, uh, one of the reasons why he was motivated to write what he wrote was because uh, he says the French have a way of doing biography. They, 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 they weave a narrative, they, they weave a story. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, but it's not like, where a normal reader would want to begin or go yeah. know, through, through the stages. Mm -hmm. And so um, if you're looking for uh, uh, well-grounded, well-founded information about the life and times of Camus, you're definitely going to turn to, um, uh, um, to Lachman over wow. time. Um, a parallel, by the way, um, you know, there's a very famous German writer, Rudiger Safransky. He writes, he's written biographies of Heidegger, of Schopenhauer, of, you know, Goethe, of everybody practically. He does the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's not a French phenomenon. It's kind of a European intellectual mm -hmm. phenomenon that you just begin somewhere and you sure. begin to talk about, you know, your subject, right? The Ray, and, yeah. Yeah, the Medias and Rays, you just, you know, toss the reader in there and then you go back and you go forward, you go back and you go forward and this reminds me of, and then you have to think about that. That reminds yeah. me of this and this, you know, brings us to that. Uh, that's the style, okay? Yeah. That's, that's a particular technique 
of writing biography. Okay, mm -hmm. so uh, um, so um, yeah, I mean, but for 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 a, you know a normal reader who yeah. like wants to know well. <laughs> When, when was he born? Where yeah. did he go to school? Where, when did he publish this? What did that lead to? Yeah. And I don't mean that in any mechanical no. uh, sense. I, I mean that in, in, mm -hmm. in the full robust hermeneutical sense that, you know, Lachman has it all over Todd. You know? Yeah. Lachman's almost like a handbook that you go to, you know, mm. if you want to, if you're writing an essay or something on, you know, the plague, <clears throat> you just go to the chapter on the plague, you read the preceding pages, what was coming up to it. And then, everything that's going on during the construction of the plague down to who he's writing letters to where he's living with an address you know his allotment yeah, and, yeah. and it's all there it, for it, your it hasn't helped Todd's, you know original french biography that the translation did away with most of the notes yeah right so it, mm -hmm. it's like you know the the english version of Todd yeah. is virtually useless yeah uh, yeah yeah, so it's just a truncated uh, yep. version of the original. So I think that too uh, doesn't help. Doesn't you know, help his uh, reputation uh, on this side mm -mm. of the Atlantic. Yeah, mm -mm. I think ten is the same uh, for you that I gave you. Uh, mm -hmm. Did Camus cultivate his public image, his cult of personality, or was it natural and not contrived? Yeah, um, I guess the question is, did any serious writer in Paris or France in the 1940s and 50s not do both, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, uh, and, and maybe that's the image we have of them. You know, we have like uh, the existentialist cafe and, you know, yep. uh, all kinds of, there's a, an immense literature uh, that, that conjures up the whole atmosphere, you know, of the left bank and, mm -hmm. and tells the story of how these lives and their works were intertwined, you know, uh, de Beauvoir and Marcel and Camus and Sartre and Merleau-Ponty and all. Um, so, yeah, I think each and every one, you know, had a, uh, definitely had, you know, a certain image. Mm -hmm. And I was reading in um, A.J. Ayer's autobiography recently, well, actually not recently, it's been a while, but he uh, uh, traveled after the war mm -hmm. to Paris because you know, A.J. Ayer was like language, truth, and logic, like yep. 1936, mm -hmm. what, what would he be seeking? Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> but he did, he, he, you know, and, 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 and at one point, I think he even almost says outright that he was present at uh, the uh, lecture uh, in of Sartre, you know, existentialism and humanism, right? And uh, it gives an eyewitness account or, or like an eyewitness account from a distance. But uh, he, he saw this cult of personality mm -hmm. uh, that was there, a natural or contrived. And he came away from Sartre, he said, just a con. He's a con. Yes. Okay? Yeah, yeah, con. yeah. Mm -hmm. AJ Ayer. And, but he had a very positive impression of Camus. Uh, so, um, uh, yeah, I think that um, it, it would be hard, uh, given the fame yeah. of someone like Camus. And, and the, the thing, too, is that um, Camus uh, was a really unknown author in 1940-41. Mm -hmm. And The Stranger comes out uh, mid-year, and by the end of the year, then the myth of Sisyphus and then he gets active in the circles around combat. Then he becomes editor-in-chief. Mm -hmm. And then by late 1944, it turns out that the man who is the editor-in-chief of combat uh, 
which we hadn't known all along, mm -hmm. uh, a, a leading figure in the resistance, that's the author of The Stranger and of uh, the myth of Sisyphus. Yep. So in other words, um, uh, um, um, this, this combination mm -hmm. is really, really striking. And this leads to a situation where, uh, you know, um, uh, public attention is focused on this figure Camus in a way in which it was focused on none other in the years after the war and leading up to say like 1950. And this is probably one of the reasons why, uh, in addition to material reasons, real or imagined, mm -hmm. uh, Sartre and people around him turned on Camus. I think so. Right? Uh, uh, there was a perception on the part of, um, of uh, Sartre that Camus had gone bourgeois, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this is like the irony of both their, their lives, which are not parallel at all, because Sartre, who was bourgeois, yeah. you know, from manner born, was trying to go prole, and Camus, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the genius, was just yeah. coming out of Belcourt, you know, his yeah. working class origin yeah. roots, and yeah. he had come, you know, especially after the, uh, the plague in 1947 made him a wealthy man, he was yeah. able to live in, you know, one of the finest arrondissements of Paris, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, I think given these forces, uh, um, uh, it's almost impossible not to, um, it's a human thing yeah. to, to first of all, acquire a public image mm -hmm. and then, uh, you know, to, uh, to have it become second nature after a number of years. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, in a certain sense to take a certain advantage of it, who wouldn't, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah. I think it become philosophically problematic if, you know, we know cases where that happened, right? We know cases where people then became genuinely arrogant, you know, and mm -hmm. condescending. But uh, I don't have, uh, I don't know of anything, you know, about Camus that uh, that indicates that. Yeah. So one of the things that I always think about with this question is, um, I just recently took a tour through his American and South American journals, uh -huh. and especially the New York pieces in there. He is detached from that. Europe that he's so used to. And mm -hmm. I think there's a feeling of freedom sometimes to roam New York and not be identified. Yeah, um, yeah. And you could feel him getting maybe back in touch with himself uh, without having mm -hmm. constant eyes on him like he would in yes. Paris, you know? Yeah. And he did yeah. some strange yeah. things in New York, this obsession with the zoo and things like that, but it's because yeah. he wanted to, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And had yeah. some affairs too. You yeah, know, of course. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course he did. Yep. Yeah, of course. So <laughs> about which entire books are written about entire yeah. nights, you know. Yes. <laughs> the other party. You know? Yes, by the yeah. other side. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Number eleven. What is the biggest weakness in Camus' work, and why? Well, yeah. Well, I've written on this. I, I think that, you know, his, um, uh, I don't think he takes reason to its limits. Uh, and, uh, but I think he's open about this. And he says that he does not do it. I mean, he, he actually criticizes um, Husserl and the phenomenologists for having done it or having tried to do it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and he does this at great length in, uh, in the myth of Sisyphus, uh, which he says, by the way, is his only book. Um, you know, on uh, philosophy and on existentialism. That's a that's what the Germans call a Sachbuch. It's a it's it's not a novel. It's a it's an essay. You know, on 
you know, these topics. And, but I think that to his defense or in his defense, uh, Camus regards that as dehumanizing to human beings. Mm -hmm. um, um, yeah. I mean, uh, he, he, Camus' understanding of the human being is more holistic uh, than Husserl is generally given credit for. Uh, we now know, given the 42 volumes of Husserliana behind me that have appeared, we now know that there's another Husserl, uh, a humane Husserl that was there all along uh, uh, and that has come out in the posthumously published writings. And this Husserl is not merely the Husserl of like the transcendental ego and you know the reduction and the striving for absolute and adequate and apodictic evidence, but rather this Husserl is a, um, a person who writes about ethics, who writes about uh, culture, who writes, uh, there's the existential Husserl. Uh, I'm coming out now, uh, co-edited with a colleague, Marco Cavallaro in Cologne uh, with a volume with Springer. It's called the Existential Husserl, mm -hmm. right? So now Husserl is not an existentialist, right? Neither was Camus. Uh, but there was this thing called existential philosophy mm -hmm. from the 1920s that preceded existentialism. Yeah. Right? People were looking for a name to put on it. Yeah. And unfortunately then, you know, for better or for worse, it came out as existentialism. But people like Karl Jaspers in Germany and people like Camus mm -hmm. uh, and others, you know, in France and other places, they were doing existential philosophy long before there was existentialism. And uh, existential philosophy is simply the kind of philosophy that focuses on the existential questions uh, without any of the isms, you know, yeah. attached. It's, mm -hmm. it's open, it's inquiry, it's philosophy. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but when Camus does that, he does it in uh, a different uh, mode from the way in which Husserl does it. You know, Husserl is really always trying to focus on the universal, mm -hmm. the necessary, okay. And Camus is really, uh, he's focused on, I would say more the individual, more the particular. And he finds, yeah. the fun part is that Camus, as, as, as literature does, mm -hmm. it finds in the particular, in the individual, it finds the universal. Mm -hmm. It brings it out, okay, yeah. right? Yeah. It, it, doesn't yeah. like super, it doesn't try to superimpose the universal on the individual or the particular, right? So it's like, it's the old fight between Aristotle and Plato. I it mean, is. Over again, you know. Yeah. So at any rate, uh, yeah, the uh, yeah, there, there are weaknesses in his work. I mean, uh, I think um, you know, if you look at a particular work, um, uh, then I think that Camus left himself open to attack by uh, Sartre and Jeanson and those people, you know, around uh, Le Temps Modern. Um, and uh, I think the, the general argument is unassailable, right? I, there's just no no question about it. And the more you know about uh, um, the history of Marxism to Marxism-Leninism yeah. to Marxism-Leninism-Stalinism, yeah. then the more you know that the rebel really, it really, it, it's, 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 it's spot on, okay? Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, um, it, it, it left him open to uh, criticisms uh, mm -hmm. that he, he, you know, he, he wasn't differentiating enough, but in the main, I mean, he really, he really hits it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, um, I, I've never been able to understand, you know, the allegiance of like the French left to Stalinism, uh, yeah. you know, for yeah. those decades anyway. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't make any sense. 
they were proven to have been on the wrong side of history. And, yes. and this is what makes part of what makes Camus for me one of the, the one of the great heroes of conscience of the 20th century, that, that he withstood this pressure, yeah. this enormous yeah. pressure that, that, that sought yeah. to discredit him in, in yeah. you know, all of the circles that were valuable to, yeah. to, to any intellectual in France, mm -hmm. and in, in Western Europe in the 1950s. Yeah. You know? So, um, uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, mm. And with a, a lack of technology, like today, if, if, if your circle rejects you because of some fundamental thing, there are very easy ways to find circles that will accept you. Yeah. But there, it's geography and it's limited technology. If this crowd is against you, you stand alone. You stand alone. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think Camus' rejection of the Stalinist version of communism is very well thought out because that's the why that's why he split with the French Algerian Party. Mm -hmm. you know, he understood the 1930s, right? Yeah. He was expelled. Yeah, he was expelled because Stalin and the and the Algerian Communist Party they they weren't into internationalism. They were yeah. for revolution in one country, and so yeah. they couldn't be concerned at all about the Kabilia. You know what's that? Yeah. I mean, like you know, yeah. if like seven million. Well, now it's seven million, but back then, if several million people need to starve to death, you know, uh, then yeah. you know. Like, yeah, more important things. We have bigger fish to fry. You know? Yeah, exactly. And, and Camus was, as a journalist, going into that region and saying, "Wait a minute, you know." Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. So he's got a he's got a history with that, and it's predictable, mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. valuable, mm -hmm. and it's honorable. I think you know that yeah. he was. Yeah. The newspapers he was writing for were being shut down by the right, and and he was being expelled from parties on the left. On the left, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. from both sides from the early from the 1930s you know, so, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. stands alone yeah. Mm -hmm. onto a lighter question if a biographical movie of Camus were to be made who plays him dead or alive okay dead that's a dead ringer that's gonna be Marcello Maestroani okay. from, uh, from Lo Straniero from the Visconti film of 67 which uh, you used to be able to see on YouTube for free until they broke it up into like nine parts so that they can show you more advertising. Mm -hmm. But it, it's, you know, it's not perfect, but it's well worth looking at. Yeah. Alive, alive, alive. That's, that's, uh, I was thinking, uh, and here I'm trying to not let my prejudices occlude my vision, but mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorite actors has always been Joachim Phoenix. Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, and, and, and I, I wasn't too taken by his performance in The Joker, but it wasn't him. It was the character, right? Yeah. right? And like, you know, I don't actually like those kinds of movies, you know. But at any rate, I did watch it. I I watched it with my wife, and you know, she doesn't like violence in film, uh, especially if it seems gratuitous. And um, that and 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 the social message is actually very unclear. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But but at any rate, uh, Joachim Phoenix would make I think a good uh, 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 Merceau uh, because he he's just he's he's very good at um, uh, what's the word for it? Um, um, the Germans called it Verschlossenheit, a kind of closed ness, a, a kind of wrapped upness in oneself. Mm -hmm. inability to go out to others to reach out to others okay yeah and mm -hmm. when, when they reach out to you then you withdraw further yeah yeah withdraw okay. further. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the most famous portrayal in english film of um 
for Schlossenheit that I've ever seen is the scene in uh, The Remains of the Day when Anthony Hopkins mm -hmm. and Emma Thompson, but he, he, she, she is romantically interested in him mm -hmm. and he is too in her, but he can't admit it. And mm -hmm. there's a scene when she comes into his quarters and he has a book that he's reading. Yeah. And, and she's like teasing him, like, yeah. what are you reading? What are you reading? Mm -hmm. And like and 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 mm. Mr. Stevenson and and he he pulls back and pulls yeah. back and pulls back, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and you you don't you find out later in the film that he was actually deeply in love with her, right? Mm -hmm. like he, he couldn't admit that to her or to yeah. himself. Uh, and uh, that that's that's that captures that absolutely captures, uh, you know, um, Fershlosenheit. He didn't get the Oscar for that film. Okay. He got the Oscar some cannibal film right but mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> but i think that the daniel day lewis got the oscar that year from my left foot but which was deserved but yes, yeah. this scene is just uh just just brilliantly played mm -hmm. so i'd go with for live i would go with joachim phoenix i mm -hmm. think uh, um but i don't know many movie stars you know or yeah. you know uh, uh, i just don't um it definitely wouldn't be anybody like you know brad pitt or uh yeah. or you know, i mean you know, uh, uh, ooh, who's the other guy who's always with him in films is uh, um, uh, uh, um, who's the young guy on Titanic? Um, um, Leonardo DiCaprio. Leonardo. Yes. Leonardo. Yeah. 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 No, yeah, I got good answers though. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, next, you've written and published on Camus. Pick one of your works on Camus and tell me what you think his reaction to that work would be. I would say that one of my best essays, it's in the Review of Camus Studies, the Journal of Camus Studies, one of my best essays is the one in which I not only challenge, but I would say I also refute uh, Camus claimed that Merceau refuses uh, to lie and never lies. Oh, yeah. Good. Uh, I, yep. I think that Camus would, I think he would, I, I think it's beyond doubt. I mean, I, the, mm -hmm. the evidence that I present there is just yep. overwhelming yep. Uh, that uh, Merceau uh, often, in the sense of the very definition that Camus gives in the preface to the 1956 edition of The Stranger, uh, there can be absolutely no doubt in any reasonable person's mind. It's yeah. it's beyond reasonable doubt. It's beyond conceivable doubt. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, right? He says yeah. more than he is. He says more than he feels. And this is what gets him into trouble. It's not the opposite, as Camus says. But as I indicated before, this uh, preface was written in the context of defending Merceau against the charge that he was nothing but a piece of social wreckage. He, mm -hmm. he was an atheist, nihilist, existentialist that yeah. the youth should not be reading, yeah. let alone yeah. emulating. Mm -hmm. Okay, right. Mm -hmm. And 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 I agree that that Camus right when he when he when he when he tries to um, you know diffuse that criticism, but he goes too far in the other direction. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I guess that Camus' reaction would be uh, to this piece that I wrote. I think he would simply say that I'm, I'm being too rational, I'm being too logical, I'm, I'm, I'm holding Merceau to um, you know, a standard of rationality mm -hmm. that is illegitimate. But my response to that would be that that's precisely the reason why I applied the definition of yeah. lying that Camus gives in his own practice. I didn't import one no. like from Aristotle or Plato or somebody. Yep. I simply mm -hmm. said, now, wait a minute, this is what you say lying is? Well, let's see. Right, yeah. according to your logic, right? Mm -hmm. 
But of course, part of that paper is, or that paper is an exercise in questioning um, our uh, authorial authority over a text, right? That's that this ancient hermeneutical principle that has been endorsed by philosophers from Plato to Gadamer and beyond. Uh, you find it in Kant as well. Uh, that it is possible, right, for a reader to understand what an author has written better than the author did, okay? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, without, without that, that's what Socrates says in the Apology when he goes to the poets and the playwrights and says, yeah. you know, I saw this play, you know, in mm -hmm. the theater, like, what does it mean? So yeah. he asks them and they begin to explain. And then he says, yeah, but it's all just inspiration, right? Mm -hmm. and, and he comes up with better interpretations of yeah. what they put on the stage than, than they are able to, right? Mm -hmm. So the principle is this old, it's revered, right? And, yeah. and it's actually one of the reasons why someone like Daoud can come along and write a novel about the novel, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. and, 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 and once you read uh, Daoud's novel, then you say to yourself, why did it take so long for someone I to know. write? <laughs> I know. <laughs> There's this opportunity there and nobody picked it up until... Right. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. More power to him, but, yes. you know. Yep. Very, yeah. yeah, that's a great essay you wrote. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a one that I've deeply appreciated for a long time. So, yeah, it's well done. Thank you. Yeah. 14, now 14 may have changed. What do you have for 14? I think, so. I think the one about the chair of the search committee. Oh, okay. Uh, and then the yes. new one is uh, is the one about, you know, go ahead, the one about him uh, often using real uh, yeah. people as characters or, or models, you know, in his yeah. work, he makes their part of the psychology, physical appearance and life story and, you know, made an often thinly veiled character of them. How do you feel about his doing this? Is there a moral component? Yeah. It, that should be addressed. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, I don't think there's any problem with the practice. Mm -hmm. I think that depending upon how close the resemblance is, there can be a moral component that should mm -hmm. be addressed. But generally speaking, I don't think, you know, there's any problem here. Yeah. Um, we have statements of Camus where he talks about, you know, uh, the characters in The Stranger. And he says that uh, uh, Marceau was a composite of three people whom he knew in real life, you yeah, know? Yeah. So uh, I can imagine that Camus knew of characters like Marceau, uh, that he knew of characters, people, real people like, uh, like Raymond and Celeste and others, mm -hmm. and Marie too. And, uh, uh, and Alice Kaplan, by the way, has pointed out that um, it's in a footnote in, uh, you know, her uh, searching for the stranger, right? Mm -hmm. Which it's not an old book. I think it came out in 2016 or so. It's relatively new, but you know, she points out that the uh, shooting, the killing of the Arab on the beach and the stranger, actually is based on a case that. You know, oh, I love that part of that book. It, it did occur. Yeah, yep. yeah. It's the so Bessel Affair. I think oh, it's yeah. called. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and so uh, I, I, uh, Camus was an avid reader of true crime. I mean, he. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I am too, by the way. Are I, you? I, <laughs> I think if people, I don't want to say too much about the death penalty, but if you want to understand uh, the question concerning the legitimacy of the death penalty, then 
you 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 absolutely have to read true crime. Mm -hmm. If you're not reading true crime, you're just whistling in the dark. Okay, okay? <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, and, and I say that just like I said, I don't want to put too much on the record mm -hmm. here, but but um, uh, yeah. So uh, I think it's um, not a problem at all, as long as you don't obviously um, uh, put people in your uh, uh, novels, for instance. And people reading them will say, well, that's so-and-so, right? Well, we, yeah. we know yeah. so-and-so, right? But I don't think there's any evidence that, uh, that you know, that Camus did anything like that. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I think that in terms of the type of person, mm -hmm. um, you, you'd actually have to have a pretty limited family and a pretty limited circle of friends and acquaintances if you did not know mm -hmm. someone like Merceau, if you did not know someone like uh, Raymond Sintes, if yeah. you did not know someone you know, uh, so um, um, so I mean, uh, these characters are basically um, uh, all over the place. Um, uh, Merceau, the character of Merceau, is basically just holding a mirror up to people and saying, "Yeah, oh, this is he's a poster boy for the unreflective life." I mm -hmm. mean, right? you can compare and contrast him with Socrates, right? Mm -hmm. uh, at, you know, two extremes. Um, but I think, uh, um, yeah, and. Um, and sometimes he does it to himself. I think that yes. in those scenes in The Stranger where he's talking about the journalists who are present at the trial yep. and they're writing up the story for the, you know, the gossip hungry reading public back mm -hmm. in metropolitan France, you know, because they don't have enough to do or, you know, they, they can't get satisfied, you know, they can't satisfy their, um, uh, uh, their, 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 uh, need for stories like this. One of the journalists, there's a crowd of journalists and they're kind of like run of the mill, but one of the journalists is sort of in a gray flannel suit. He's got yeah. very thoughtful demeanor and, and it, it's not hard to imagine. And I think there's, I read in one of Camus' note, notes that that's mm -hmm. actually Camus. Yes. Right? He wrote himself yeah. into, into this yeah. novel trial as someone observing him and yeah. he says at that point when he's looking at that journalist he says i had the odd experience the odd impression that i was observing myself exactly yeah <laughs> is it yeah it says right there okay yeah. so you can't drop a heavier hint than that you know yeah uh yeah he yeah pushes right. it a little bit further with that journalist too doesn't he give the description that he had a long horse face and one ear that was oddly shaped or is that kaplan that brings that out I think that's in Kaplan. I don't think that's yeah. in The Stranger. Okay, yeah. yeah. The, 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 the depiction of that journalist in The yeah. Stranger is very positive. It's yeah. very, Merso has the impression that this, of all the people in that courtroom, mm -hmm. the witnesses haven't been introduced yet, uh, this person is the one who might understand him. Yeah, yeah. Not understanding, yeah. okay? Yeah. Because this yeah. topic of no one understands, that's like a leitmotif in, in, throughout The Stranger and then especially at trial, you know? Yeah. So I um, uh, think Salomon who says in the witness stand, please, you have to understand, but yeah. no one understood, okay? It's just, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a failure to communicate, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, great. Yeah, great observation in that courtroom. I love that piece. Mm -hmm. In 1959, Camus said he was working on another novel not connected to the first man, but it was to be another original work. What do you think or hope the text was to be about? That's a tough one. I can only say I hope that it might be about love that makes people happy. Okay. Uh, you know, um, maybe that's something that is, uh, is uh, 
missing in uh, in um, in uh, maybe there's a little bit of it in in uh, the plague, although that's hard, you know. Um, but yeah, maybe about you know love that makes people happy. Um, 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 hmm. Other than that, it's you know it's hard to say. Really, yeah. really hard to say. Yeah, it is hard uh, to say because he did turn out his work so quickly. You don't you know two years was often the the research, writing, editing, and publishing window. So you don't see a lot of work going into something that's that's going to be produced in the end. You know. Once yeah, the first yeah. man was done, he would be on to the next thing. And mm -hmm. I don't think there's a lot of information or a lot of recollection of what he's working on prior to the publication of the first man, or the first man being sent to Paris on that awful day, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Which artist would you like to see Camus collaborate with? And what would you like to see them make? Well, I guess I would have to come back to Joachim Phoenix Great. And I would like to, like to see him in a stage performance of Caligula. Oh, yes. Wow. Wow. Not Commodus, not Commodus but Caligula. Yeah. <laughs> and then wow. we have to find out whom could we get to play Sharia, you know, and yeah. other characters. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, that, 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 that could be, that could be, that could be worthwhile seeing. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, to, to see them collaborating, mm -hmm. right. In, uh, in, and we know about, you know, Camus' early involvement already in the 1930s with different theater troops, yep. you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, um, the, the, the creative process that's involved in mm -hmm. not only bringing a character to paper, but then bringing that character from paper to real life on the stage. Yeah. And, uh, and how you need more than the reader's imagination for that, you also need uh, um, you need someone to embody that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, um, you, you need an actor who's going to bring uh, his or her own um, um, everything to yeah. the role, you know? Yeah. Uh, so. Because um, um, you get a lot of uh, conversation back and forth between Camus and, no, this is what it should be. This is what I mean. This is where we need, this is where you need to be in your head for this. And Joaquin Phoenix would be, well, this is the way it's going to go on the stage for me. And I think it should go this way. So you'd see that. Yeah. coming together of two real professionals on that level with one character. Yeah, one big um, advantages of the electronic age is now that uh, you can Wikipedia all of the films that you see or would like to see. And then this credit that, that rolls, you know, at the end of a film casting, I yeah. always ask, well, you know, what's behind that? And now uh, when you read like a film, uh, the, the, the Wikipedia article on a film, mm -hmm. They talk about when shooting started, uh, where the um, the script came from, the screenplay, uh, uh, and, and casting. And yeah. then you find out, oh, well, like they were trying to get so and so and so and so and so and so to play the role. Yes. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Right. Like the director said, I can't work with that person. And other yeah. points, no. The producer said, no, they won't work. And yeah. another point, the script, the um, the person with the screenplay said, never. <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, you know, yep. and, and then you say, wow, I mean, this is, and another, another time, you know, the person, the person who was actually supposed to play the role yeah. and should have, and everybody wanted that person turned it down because they were busy somewhere else. Yeah. And yep. the person who got the role won the Academy Award. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, I mean, this is a very, there's a lot of contingency, a yeah. lot of contingency mm -hmm. there, yeah. you know. 
it's a fascinating process. I often play that in my head. If I'm reading a book, I always try to, not always, but sometimes think, well, who would play the lead here and who would play this interesting mm -hmm. character in this mm -hmm. one? And mm -hmm. The Coen brothers do a really, they seem to cast a lot of the same people, but they mm -hmm. do a really interesting job, I think, and a nice job of, of mm -hmm. fitting those people mm -hmm. into those particular roles. There's hardly yeah. a Coen brothers film that I don't just completely love. You know, they're, oh, they're uh -huh. exceptional. I've seen a couple. Yeah, I've seen a couple. Yeah, not all of them, though. Yeah. They're good. Yeah, they're very good. Yeah. Hmm. 17, who would you like to see Camus debate, living or dead, and what topic would they debate? Oh, okay. I've got a different 17, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> debate. Oh, my goodness. Um, shoosh. Hmm. Well, there, there's a lot here. I mean, uh, um, a lot here. Um, uh, certainly the issue of progressive violence. I mean, it stands out right now. It would be very interesting to see uh, Camus uh, as a, uh, talking head is the wrong word for it, uh, as a commentator mm -hmm. uh, on say, you know, Farid Zakaria, you know, uh, um, uh, um, GPS or something um, um, and um, talking about uh, what's going on in this country right now yeah uh, because um, it's not happened so much recently but like um, certain um, uh, French intellectuals uh, conservative um, uh, philosophers like Bernard Henri Levy ha have come and, and, and done you know, pieces on, uh, you know, either the BBC or, you know, CNN or mm -hmm, other yeah. uh, uh, talk shows. And, and, the, the, and, and it's good to have them on for like, you know, a half an hour and not to just have like a one-off kind of, you know, yeah. uh, two or three minute statement or something mm -hmm. like that, right? So uh, now who, who would come you debate, you know, on the other side? Um, that's not an easy question. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't think of anyone on the right. It, it, I mean, who, yeah. who, who is there on the right who would yeah. have anywhere near uh, his um, significance and, and his, uh, his uh, ability to, uh, to, you know, to frame the issues? I mean, yeah. um, uh, you, what are you going to go to? Uh, uh, John Bolton or Dinesh D'Souza or, yeah. you know, that, that may just show how limited I am in my you know, appreciation for the philosophers of the yeah. right. Uh, I, I don't know at present, you know, uh, but um, certainly the issue of progressive violence, right? Uh, uh, because as I pointed out before, this, 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 this issue has not only not gone away, it has uh, become uh, uh, front and center. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right now uh, in the lead up to the, uh, to the uh, election, you know, coming yeah. November 3rd, so. Uh, and I like your idea of, of having Camus being a commentator um, mm -hmm. on the mm -hmm. times, maybe just for the last six months, uh, mm -hmm. to have an extended conversation about the progression in the United States and the tension and the anxiety as it's heading towards the election would be on uh, your mm -hmm. point of progressive violence would be something fascinating mm -hmm. with this event that just happened in Michigan and yeah yeah the uh the uh, I, I wouldn't uh, of course compare uh Camus to de Tocqueville but uh, you mm -hmm. know he's a journalist and, mm -hmm. and and I think that uh if Camus 
had time, if he could yeah. spend some time, if he were alive in the United States, mm -hmm. right? And then, uh, um, uh, and then debate, you know, the issues that beset the country right now, that would be especially progressive violence, social justice generally too, yeah. Uh, yeah. right? I mean, uh, um, income inequality, uh, mm -hmm. uh, um, those sorts of things. Um, uh, um, it wouldn't necessarily have to be the kinds of uh, deep philosophical issues mm -hmm. like a meaningful life. I think they're inseparable from uh, uh, those other uh, social issues. But at any rate, uh, yeah, we, we need that perspective from without. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you, you, you really don't get that in this country anymore. I mean, like mm -hmm. something like the, the allegedly the most watched news broadcast in the United States at present is the ABC Evening World News mm -hmm. with David Muir. But there's very little of the world in the yeah. ABC yeah. World News. There's like yeah. nothing, nothing, yeah. There's nothing yeah. there. It's like yeah. if they mention a foreign country at all, it's because of some terror attack or something or, yeah. or some explosion or something in Beirut, you know. Uh, but other than that, it's all just, you know, it's all just, it's, it's all U.S. centered, driven off domestic politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stepping off point. Yeah. Personal yeah, politics, politics, and yeah. What's one thing Camus taught you from reading his work? Uh, I would say that you know uh, this is a, a recapitulation of what I said before, but I think what I've learned is that the claim that life is absurd is itself something that can be reduced to the absurd, which is what I see not only the stranger doing and can you doing in the stranger with the character of myself. I, I see this as the central claim of the body of his work. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so, mm -hmm. so the, 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 uh, Camus is teaching us, if, if we're capable of learning it, he's teaching us that uh, there's nothing so absurd as the claim that life is absurd. absurd. And yeah. we remember back, you know, in ancient times already, mm -hmm. people like Cicero were already quoting as uh, an adage to be quoted. Yes. Uh, that yeah. Mm -hmm. Nothing so absurd that it hasn't been stated, said by one of the philosophers. Montaigne mm -hmm. right? <laughs> picks that up and all the great essayists, you know, pick that up. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, uh, 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 and um, this is one of the, things that shows me that uh, Camus was not only not a philosopher of the absurd in a sense of endorsing it, but mm -hmm. he was someone who was uh, articulating it so as to be able to analyze and critique it yeah. and yep. put it out there in such a way that people could see it for what it was in full knowledge of the fact that people would look at it and say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Okay, mm -hmm. right? So I know the claim that if we, you're all going, we're all going to die anyway at some point, it doesn't matter whether you die at 20 or at 60, right? This is this Marceau uh, reflection, um, you know, before he's visited for the third and final time by the prison chaplain, um, absurd claims. Uh, so if you ask a 20 year old, since you're going to die anyway, death is certain, um, why not just die now? You know, yeah. what's 40 years, right? Uh, you're not going to, really find anyone who's going to say, okay, you know, okay. That, that's right, right? Yeah. that's right, that's basically yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's just, you know, no. Mm -hmm. I mean, so um, um, uh, Camus puts the lie to the people who, uh, also to the people who teach 
uh, Camus as a philosopher of the absurd, of the as, absurd. A, as an atheist, right? Mm-hmm. And by the way, Camus was not was not for uh, uh, not in any case was he an aggressive atheist. He is an agnostic, mm-hmm. I would say. Uh, he had great respect uh, for religion. Mm-hmm. He went and talked with the Dominicans in Paris yeah. and before and everything. Uh, he 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 is in no way to be lumped together with uh, Richard Dawkins and Sam no. Harris mm-hmm. and you know, all of the new aggressive mm-hmm. atheists, right? Uh, uh, Camus had had you know he just he he respected yeah. uh, his um, our religious beliefs, and um, I think that too is something that we need more of in the uh, in the world today. Um, so. Yeah. yeah, he's a great conversation partner in theology because uh, he's very fair and he's very insightful, uh, and that's what you need. So, yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Which is the biggest influence on his work, his mother or tuberculosis? Bigger, I would say, his mother. You okay. know, um, um, tuberculosis may be. At key points in his life, uh, he was frustrated. He was not able to become a professional footballer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something I, I admire <laughs> about him, you know, that uh, he, he had other career goals, you know. Yeah. Also, yeah. yeah, also, I mean, you have to stop and think that um, tuberculosis ultimately prevented him from doing the aggregation and becoming a teacher yes. yep, in, you know, in the uh, French Algerian school system. Yep. Uh, so that turned out to be a blessing in disguise. Um, um, you know, um, uh, um, he wouldn't never have passed the, he, he couldn't pass the physical exam. And mm-hmm. I was just reading recently somewhere, maybe it was in Lockman, that uh, uh, Grenier and others, they tried to move mountains to get, you know, an exception made. Yes, yeah. His mm-hmm. appeal, you know, to be uh, mm-hmm. permitted, to be admitted to the aggregation exam was turned down repeatedly, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and in the end, it was just like, no, I mean, you just, you have your diploma now, yep. go, okay, yep. and, and, and you know, do with it what you can, and then he landed at, you know, these odd jobs, but mm-hmm. uh, so and tuberculosis, uh, you know, not to be underestimated as an influence on his life, mm-hmm. because on his work, I mean, what what might his his work? What might, of his work might we not have yes. if he had yeah. gone, you know, to the Lycée and become yeah. uh, basically a, um, a a high school? It's not, not a high school. It's like a prep school for you know university uh, uh, students. Mm-hmm. Um, if he had become you know that level of teacher, I think the so, tuberculosis connects nicely with what you've said about the absurd just now too, because it placed him under a very clear death indictment at age 17. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he knew the death agent in him. It may not be the one that killed him. You could be hit by a bus, of course, or anything, you know, and living in dangerous times or World War II. But mm-hmm. it's settled on him at age 17 that he has a death agent inside of him that will take his life one day and at probably at a fairly young age. So that makes a deep, I think, psychological impact on a young man moving mm-hmm. forward that way. But I think you're. I think you're on to something with the mother being a little more uh, more influential in his work too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe the mother. Yes, it's it's tough, you know. Maybe the mother on the life and the the you know the the yeah. the tuberculosis on the work or or um, uh, yeah. yeah yeah it's um, um, the mother is everywhere. I mean, yeah. the mother is like yeah. mama is everywhere. I mean, it's yeah. clearly. Uh, um, if I get 
work from students all the time talking about how Camus had a very negative relationship with his mother and they infer this somehow from Marceau and his mother's relationship and I say wait a minute not so fast you know yeah. you really have to, to think you have to know more about that I mean yeah. you, you, you just can't make that that inference is just unsound you know yeah. so yeah um, all right we're at the last question uh-huh George and I thank you for your time so far but if you could ask Camus three questions what would you ask him Mm -hmm. One, the first one probably would be, what do you think of the present state of philosophy and literature? Mm -hmm. uh, meaning like the relationship between the two. Yeah. And uh, there is uh, a movement among philosophers uh, to start teaching. It's been going on for a while, but it's getting stronger and stronger. Um, you know, societies for the philosophy of literature, societies for uh, teaching uh, philosophy through literature, uh, mm -hmm. courses teaching philosophy through literature and film too, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I would like to know some of his uh, pedagogical thoughts on Great. things like yeah, that. pedagogy, uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, second one might be, you know, what do you think of the present state of Algeria and France? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, because a lot has happened and, um, um, and a lot of it that could be happening isn't happening. It hasn't happened. Uh, there's a literature now on how the generation that fought the War of Independence from 1954 to 1962, they became the new Lords of the House. And this comes out, by the way, all over the place in uh, the uh, Marceau investigation. But it's also, yeah. you know, yeah. the subject of, uh, of uh, contemporary journalistic historical writing, uh, Phillips and Evans book, uh, for instance, The Anger of the, uh, it's The Anger of the Dispossessed, I think. Uh, I have it over there, it's a green book. At any rate, um, yeah, the, um, uh, uh, <laughs> when the journalists went out on the streets and during the Arab Spring and they asked yeah. the, the youths, like, what do you want? Tell us what you mm -hmm. want. And they said, we want to go to France. <laughs> <laughs> This is, I, I know that uh, Camus, when it came to the Algerian question, he wanted to eat his cake and have it too. Mm -hmm. He wanted, um, uh, number one, the uh, Arab Algerians, so-called indigenous, uh, they have more right to be called indigenous perhaps than, you know, the uh, European Algerians. But in any case, uh, he wanted them to be treated justly and fairly and equally, right, mm -hmm. with the European Algerians. But he also insisted that the rights of the 1.1 million um, European Algerians be respected. And uh, uh, at the time and under the circumstances, for various reasons, this was not possible. Um, and this yeah. also yeah. contributed to his marginalization, you know, with the, against the French left at the time. So uh, this was for Sartre and others, this was just more evidence of Camus naivete and his bourgeoisiness, mm -hmm. uh, sadly. Mm -hmm. uh, but we now know, we now know that uh, uh, it was much more complicated than that. And, uh, and we now know that um, Western countries have a lot to learn from uh, um, moderate Islam and that mm -hmm. uh, Islamic fundamentalism certainly has a lot to learn from uh, moderate Western countries. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, and this is, uh, uh, these are things that 
now I think have to take place uh, in, in, on a particular plane where individuals or groups work with other groups, right? Uh, mm -hmm. and, and you can't really expect very much help to be coming from the top echelons of government and state yeah. anymore. Mm -hmm. Although, although there, there are, you know, there are legitimate and bona fide good faith efforts you know, in that regard. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, and, and again, Algeria and France, that's pars pro toto for, you know, East mm -hmm. and West and North and South uh, questions. Mm -hmm. uh, third question. Um, yeah, I think, again, I keep coming back to um, um, the question of uh, the question of progressive violence, so-called. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and um, uh, you know what what he would think about what he would think about that. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I would include in that two questions about the death penalty, uh, but um, I don't think that he would have changed his mind about the death penalty, uh, uh, and I don't think that he would have changed his mind much about what the left was calling progressive violence. Uh, but I would like to know um, his thoughts on. Um, uh, strategies for somehow sorting out, mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to say it, legitimate violence. Like, mm -hmm. What is legitimate violence? What would that yeah. be? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. is, I ask him point blank, do you think there is such a thing as legitimate yes. violence? Legitimate right? violence, yeah, political you know, violence. There, yeah. Mm -hmm. be back to the old Augustinian topic of, you know, is there such a thing as a just war? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's hard to imagine that Camus, you know, who was one of the leaders of the resistance, would not think that there is such a thing as legitimate resistance involving violence, right? I think there's still a big question. Like there, there, there's violence when violence is going on, and then there's retributive violence afterwards. Yep. I think that the scholars are still like exploring the question mm -hmm. of whether there are any articles of combat. Uh, into 44, 45, where Camus himself mm -hmm. uh, is the author and where the author endorses the death penalty for collaborators, yeah. right? Collaborators, okay. yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I know that there was a time in Camus literature where it was said that Camus made an exception for collaborators and he, mm -hmm. you know, would be for the, but, but the, the latest I've been reading is that we don't actually have any uh, hard evidence uh, proof that mm -hmm. uh, Camus signed off on writing. Yeah. You know that, that advocated death penalty for anyone. So, uh, so you know, uh, uh, yeah, those would be the kinds of questions I would be, uh, I'd be interested in. You interested know, in with him. Yeah. Great. Mm -hmm. Well, that brings us to the end of our list, Professor Heffernan. I thank you very much for your time. Very engaging conversation as usual. Mm -hmm. And I will end the recording now. Okay, I want to thank you and thank, I, I hope that you get uh, many listeners, many viewers for the, uh, you know, for the interviews, the podcasts, and uh, this was a lot of fun, and I hope uh, that people uh, learn from it, uh, not so much from me or from you, but they learn from Camus, yeah. they go back and they read Camus. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that is a desire, I have this, but I think you're, you're, this you're, opportunity to know people like you and, and you're gracious enough to come on and, and you're, um, you're performing a very valuable public service and philosophical service <laughs> by doing this, you know, well, thank so. you. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.